Hello, my name is Derek Lamar Cottingham, and this is Smile and Wave Podcast. Smile and Wave is a podcast focusing on the mental health of young adults while navigating the ever-changing world. Each episode has a goal of breaking the stigma to talk about mental well-being and for everyone to realize they are not alone and the things you are going through are normal. The title of this podcast comes from a phrase I used to say to make it through undergrad when dealing with traumatic things. On today's episode, imposter syndrome. In July, I packed up my life and moved from Texas to Los Angeles to begin my graduate program in journalism at USC Annenberg. At the very start of the program, I began to question if I was even meant to be here. I felt like I was in an episode of 90210. I was on the outside looking in. I wasn't the cool kid. Three weeks in, I spent 45 minutes at a time in the restroom, crying, and looking up plane tickets to go back to Texas. My feelings of uneasiness bubbled over when we began doing group work for a summer reporting project. Our group decided to focus on gentrification and housing displacement in Lamert Park, a historically black neighborhood in Los Angeles. One of the group members suggested the title Wakanda, a reference to the hidden country in the movie Black Panther. To me, that felt like minimizing the community that is widely people of color. And I said so. The person who suggested it got defensive. The others in the group remained quiet. I felt alone and inadequate. I grew up poor, and I've learned not to feel shame about it. But that same group member brought me back to that little boy that did everything possible to hide it. My computer broke, and I didn't have money to fix it or buy a new one. So I used the computer lab on campus. The same student wanted all of us to work on a Google Doc later that night, but the lab closed at 5. I explained I wouldn't be able to access it then because I didn't have a computer. She couldn't believe that I didn't have my own computer, and in accusing tone, she questioned how I've been doing my homework. I was embarrassed uncomfortable, and even angry that I was made to feel less than. I began to wonder if being accepted into this program had been a fluke. Though I met the qualifications academically, I was lacking the social and economic privileges that echoes in the campus culture. Since that day, I've often felt self-doubt. Do I belong at a wealthy private university? Do I have the right to pursue a career as a journalist? It's a classic case of imposter syndrome. Today, I have Dr. Quaid French here with me to discuss a little further about imposter syndrome. Could you introduce yourself? Sure. My name is Quaid French. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist in the USC Office of Campus Wellbeing and Education. Could you define imposter syndrome? Imposter syndrome is a very internal and personal experience of self-doubt, where one is very worried that they don't have what it takes, they don't have the talent or ability relative to the people around them, to their peers. And there's a pervasive worry that in time, you're going to get found out as a fraud or as an imposter, uh, that in some ways you don't belong. Could you please also describe and define what stereotype threat is? Stereotype threat is related to imposter syndrome, but it's slightly different. Whereas imposter syndrome will be very internal, uh, very much about a person's thoughts and faulty beliefs about themselves and their abilities. Stereotype threat is more related to broader identity categories. So stereotype threat was first developed around the idea of race or ethnicity, that 
in society, there are stereotyped beliefs and biases about different racial or ethnic groups, and that as a member of a particular group, I'd be worried that I would act or behave in a way that would prove those stereotypes true. Mm -hmm. And so in that way, not wanting to prove those stereotypes true, I would limit my behavior, change my behavior, change my actions or thoughts uh, so that I would avoid putting myself in that position where I'd be proving those things true. And so in the narrative, um, when we're discussing the suggested name for the article and when I finally decide to speak up and the group member gets a little defensive, um, I think we can probably say that I was dealing with a little bit of stereotype threat. Um, I started to close off into myself because I also did not want to be seen as the angry black person Mm -hmm. for going back and forth and trying to describe why we should not use that title or frame the story that way. And that played a huge part into me then wondering, well, if I say this or if I do this, I'm going to be lumped into the stereotype. But then it's also this closed in feeling of like, okay, that's like my only other option, but I know it'll be leading to something bad if I do that. And now I'm left in the situation of I don't know exactly what to say or do. And now I'm questioning well, if you don't even have a solution for this, are you meant to even be in this type of space where you're going to be in more situations like this? That's a great example because it really illustrates how uh, a person can have some thoughts or worries related to broad categories of identity and stereotype threat, and then sometimes so quickly moves straight into the personal, straight into the personal self-doubt um, and questioning abilities, questioning belonging in that space. And the other piece of that, think about how much potential mental energy you burned right in those moments. Here you are having to work through all of these really complex and heavy thoughts and worries and feelings when someone who isn't experiencing stereotype threat or imposter syndrome can kind of just go on their merry way and not have to worry about all that stuff. And then with that said, I think that also plays into the factor of the economic side as well. Um, In the narrative, I kind of refer to it feeling like being in an episode of 90210. And with our university being a predominantly white institution, but not just a PWI, and I'm coming from an HBCU. And there's that shift of life changes. You're moving to a different state. You're starting a new program. And on top of that, there's now... It's common where most students here and even faculty come from a better or more well-off economic background. And so the laptop situation kind of was an example of how that kind of played a factor in for me. And dealing with that, I guess, how you said with um, how those two can connect, imposter syndrome and how um, stereotypes and dealing with stereotype threat can kind of segue into one another and with the campus culture and kind of just how things are what is some advice that could be kept in mind for someone that's probably juggling all those things yeah that's a great question in my work with students and faculty and staff this idea of what is a trojan is really 
really at the forefront of people's minds now, I think. We're at this time when we're questioning a lot of those things. Still, I'd say for many students that I talk to, they have in their mind this prototype of what a Trojan looks like, right? They have a prototype in their mind of what the Trojan looks like, the classes they take, the major they're in, how they're dressed, the car they drive. All of these different parts of an identity are created to form this almost fantastical super Trojan. And so I think it's a real challenge that students coming in have thinking that they need to emulate that. It's really difficult. Whereas when you ask students, they'll all say, no, no one on campus really is like that. But somehow this myth and legend of this Trojan persists. So I think what students can do, if they find themselves comparing, uh, comparing themselves to their peers around them a lot, uh, comparing themselves to this ideal super Trojan person, is to take a step back and to really look around and just appreciate and see the diversity of the student body, to be able to make connections and have conversations in a real open, trusting, and vulnerable way so that you can see that the majority of people around you are also wondering whether they fit in. They're also experiencing some doubt relative to their academics or to their project or to student government elections or those sorts of things, and really see through that myth and legend to know that well, everyone walking around campus is human too, and so am I. And so we're probably all here experiencing some degree of worry or anxiety about how we're doing and functioning and how people are connecting to us and how we're connecting to others. But being able to challenge the truth of those really powerful negative thoughts that we have is a good first step. And with that knowing that you're not alone, how exactly common is it to experience imposter syndrome? Well, I'd say everyone that I've ever met, I can be certain that at some point in their life, they've experienced imposter syndrome. I mean, it is that common. It is doubting one's abilities, doubting one's achievements and accomplishments as reflecting true ability, knowledge, and power, and then worrying that they're going to get found out is something that so many people experience. In my work with students, faculty, and staff, and top administrators, everyone at every level has shared stories of self-doubt and worry, uh, doubting their ability to succeed, uh, and wondering whether they're going to be found out. And as I think about it, it is not any point of weakness that they're sharing those stories of self-doubt. But if anything, it's strength because what it shows me is that they're able to self-reflect. They're able to be aware of themselves and who they are and access that vulnerability that allows them to understand what they think about, what they feel, and use that as opportunity to grow and change. With that in mind, um, what are some pointers and advice and tips that we can give people that are dealing with imposter syndrome? The first, I would say, is to know that imposter syndrome is so common, that it's something that a lot of people experience. And it's not to say, oh, everyone experiences this, so this is okay. But it's to recognize that humans, we doubt ourselves, right? At least in society today. There's a lot going on. People have a lot to think about and worry about. And there's a lot of doubt about a person's ability to connect, fit in, and belong and succeed, especially because everything is measured by success. So I'd say being able to one, recognize that that's a normal experience, a normal part of the human process is a good first one. I'd say being able to connect with others and have those real open conversations is a great way to address imposter syndrome. Because what you're doing is you're 
having an opportunity to perspective take, understand and learn that others around you who you probably respect and care about are also experiencing something uh, perhaps similar. And then in understanding that they are as well, you can also have conversations in which you can support each other and remind each other of the successes that each person has had. Uh, being able to really build a community where it's about support instead of comparison, where it's about connection instead of competition is one that I think can really go a long way to address that. This episode is brought to you by Annenberg Media. The podcast was executive produced and edited by Derek Lamar Cottingham, co-produced by Tracy Lee, Zazula Pert, Sebastian Grubaugh, Tom Norris, Tina Rubio, and Maya Harrison. Music composed by Navarro Peck. Special thanks to the Kaylee Finney Memorial Endowment for funding this podcast. Tune in to more episodes as we begin to truly smile and wave and break the stigma around mental health and well-being in young adults.